The following audio is from Foundation Life Bible Church. More information about Foundation Life is available at www.foundationlbc.com. Good morning, everybody. All right. Look, this looks like a dad knot right here. I'm not sure that I trust the dad knot. It's going to be okay. All righty. Well, for those of you that are astute, you may think that we might be talking about the Lord's Prayer today, and you are correct. Uh, I'll just start out by saying um, I'm going to be a hot mess through a lot of this. Um, sorry about that. It's just uh, how it's going to be today. Um, and uh, if that's not what you're here for, then sorry. All right. Um, so a lot to do today. Uh, we're going to study a prayer that's all of three sentences. It's going to take us a little while. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, for those of you that read Chicken Scratch, I've got all of the references and passages on the board. Uh, for those of you that don't, um, do your best. Uh, I'll, I'll call it out as I... As I get to them there, but we're going to be based mainly in Matthew chapter six, and that's uh, what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. It's what we uh, just watched the kids uh, saying. So, uh, if you want to be in Matthew chapter six, that's where we'll be. There's also another teaching of this in Luke eleven. That's what was quoted there on the, on the uh, video. We won't focus on the Luke eleven version, but um, they're very similar teachings, and I encourage you guys to look at that uh, off to the side. Okay, well, um, as we get into this, uh, before we, we dive in, um, I need to clear my head, get my head in the right space, and uh, so if you bow with me, let's just, let's just do that. Lord God, you're holy. We are not. We ask today that you help us hear clearly. Help me speak clearly. Let us see your goodness through your word today. Amen. So there's, uh, there's things that we, we do uh, without really thinking about them too much, things that are part of the everyday, they're part of the routine, and um, they just happen so often uh, that we, we just stop thinking about them. I, I was asked uh, the other day, as you said, Dad, is it hard to drive? I said, well, it's really hard at first, but then after a while it gets easy, and then after a while you get from point A to point B, and you're like, how did I get here? Uh, it, just, it, you just, it just happens. Um, and so there's this, this concept, I like to call that autopilot. You know, we'll be driving downtown and, and going to the zoo, and all of a sudden I'm turning like I'm going to work, right? Um, and you just get into this mode of just doing things without thinking of them. You get into that autopilot. And that can be daily routine. That can be chores. That can be, you know, getting cleaned up in the morning or doing the dishes. Or it can be uh, even, if we're not careful, things that are important, like prayer. And so that's what we'll talk about today. Um, my wife taught me a, a, a new word a few years ago. And since I'm preaching, I get to teach you words. And uh, we get to word nerd a little bit. Um, so the word is quo 
quotidian. All right, quotidian. That's a cue, by the way, in case you were wondering. Um, and, and quotidian is a cool, fancy word for something that means every day. It means mundane. It means routine. It means the stuff that happens and nobody notices. It's just so habitual. It's done without thought. And that familiarity that, that, familiarity that brings the lack of thought, uh, it caught me this week. Um, as Emily outlined earlier, and as many of you know, uh, Alicia's cancer was discovered this week, and it's been uh, quite a shock to everybody's system. Um, they have embarked unwillingly on a very hard journey. And like it or not, we are all on that journey with them. And they're not the only ones who are going through that. There are certainly other people, even people in our congregation, that are doing that too. Um, but it caught me by surprise for this week, for sure. And it's during this week that the enormity of what's about to happen is really rattled routine quite a lot. And the quotidian things that at one point would have just passed unnoticed have hit me pretty hard. Some of us hit pretty hard. Whether that's just doing dishes or pouring a bowl of cereal or just watching an old couple be cute together because they can't hear each other. Oh, it's real. And it's coming for all of us. It's coming for all of us. Um, but that, that quotidian mystery, it happened in a new light this week due to the context that we find ourselves in. Sorry, that's why they put this here, isn't it? So even before uh, this week was rocked uh, off its routine, uh, I was already kind of thinking about what am I going to preach on next? The last time we were together, we went through the end of the five solas. And so I was trying to think about, well, okay, how did I get to know what I know about the Lord? How did I get to know about the doctrines of Christianity, about the history of the church? And so I began um, thinking about this idea of routine. And um, as I said before, I, I grew up in a church that was non-denominational. Uh, it was a biblical church. It was a, a Christ-honoring church. It just wasn't one that was steeped in history. It wasn't one that was steeped in, in liturgy or structure or, or, or church uh, routine there. Um, and so we didn't learn church history in church uh, growing up. Uh, we didn't learn the Apostles' Creed. I'm sure at one point somebody said the, the Lord's Prayer to me once or twice, but it wasn't a thing that was repeated to me a lot. And, and so it, it was missing kind of that category that's called liturgy, this idea that there's repeated routines, repeated readings, repeated scripts that happen in the course of either our own individual worship or in corporate worship. And that can be kind of the, uh, the call and response type to stuff, or it can be a prayer that you read. So the Lord's Prayer is often used as a liturgy. Um, some of you may know this one. Well, let's try it. Peace be with you. There we go. That's liturgy, right? 
Some of us know it, some of us don't. I wasn't really taught that stuff, but some of you had that just beaten into your heads as a kid. And I was really exposed to that the most when my mom and dad would go out of town and we'd stay with my aunt and uncle and we'd go to Catholic Mass with them. And um, for the most part, I was totally lost. Um, they had a whole bunch of different liturgies. They had the whole uh, repeated aspects of the Mass. And, and you know, at first I was, couldn't hang with any of it. But then after I'd go with them, I'd go with them, I'd go with them. Well, you know what? I could do that kneel, stand up, sit down, kneel. I could do that routine pretty well. And I was able to say at least some of the basic liturgies back, including the Lord's Prayer. And that's where I learned it. Um, and I think I, I have slightly admired that structure. Um, I, I saw where it, it could be helpful, but at the same time as they were repeating a lot of this stuff, I looked around and I said, man, these people are on autopilot. Most of them, their head was not in the game. Their heart was nowhere to be found, and they were just going through the motions. And that's, that's often the danger. That's why a lot of churches shy away from liturgies, because they don't want it to be something that we just do on autopilot, something that just clicks like a metronome without thinking about it. There's a danger in that. There's a danger in the quotidian things not being noticed, especially in regard to how we deal with the Lord. And so prayer can be one of those things, and we ought to be careful about it. But you can imagine my surprise when later on, after I uh, stopped being a bad child and made the Lord a priority in my life, I began to read the word and I began to get into what does it actually say. And lo and behold, the Lord's Prayer is actually in the Bible. Um, here I'd been thinking the whole time it was just a Catholic thing that they did. Um, but no, it's, it's in the Bible. And moreover than that, it's actually part of what we would call the red text. And so many of us have Bibles that have Jesus' words in red. And this is actually not just something that's in the Bible, not just one of the prayers that we reference. This is actually a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And so as we get into this today, uh, I'm going to ask that you check your autopilot at the door, that you re-examine this prayer that you've probably heard many, many times, and just try and look at it with fresh eyes today with me. Okay, so we're going to get into Matthew 6. That's where home base is going to be. Um, and as we do that, I want to just put our minds a bit in the context. I grew up with far too many computer graphics and movies, and so my imagination is stunted, um, as I'm sure that some of yours is. Um, but uh, just imagine with me for a moment. This is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So many of you know that term. You've heard that. Um, and so this is a very long sermon that Jesus preached. And at this point, his disciples, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they were going through Syria, uh, and there were just crowds following him. His fame was spreading. And people were, were saying, oh, what about that Jesus of Nazareth guy? And they, they followed him because he, they knew he could do cool stuff. They wanted the things. They wanted the healing. And he was healing on repeat day in, day out, all day, miracles happening, and the crowd showed up as they do with that kind of thing. And so at this point in the sermon, um, Jesus has gone up onto a mountainside and sat down, and beneath him is just this mass of people. 
and he's sitting down and he begins to teach. And everybody down below can hear what's going on and, and he's teaching. He stops healing for a minute and he says, this is what it's about. This is, we're going we're gonna to learn some things. So this is part of that. So just put that in your, your context here. Yes, he's teaching the disciples, but he's also teaching all these people have showed up for all the stuff, but now he's going to put some knowledge into them. All right, so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15 in a moment. And when I do, I want you to notice three sections. There's a section in front that's kind of the, the do's and don'ts of prayer. Um, and then the middle section is the prayer itself. And then at the end, he talks about forgiveness. So we're going to see those three sections. And, and you're going to see that Jesus does not pull his punches. And he's not afraid to Muay Thai theological kickbox and throw some elbows. So here we go. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners and to be seen by men. And I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay, so some strong words there. Let's break it down. First section, do's and don'ts of prayer. Okay. At this point in time, the religious leaders loved to make a show. They loved to get out on the street corners and pray loudly, and everybody could hear them and how eloquent they were. And they loved when they made donations to the temple there was a big dish, and they'd toss it in the dish, and it would make a big clang. And it was about the show. It was about the recognition. It was about the prestige and the status of being pious, of being religious. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches there. He lays into him. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. That's a direct attack. They have received their reward in full. What reward? the admiration of men. That's what they were after. They weren't in it for God. They weren't in it to make much of his name. They weren't in it to just be faithful. They were in it to receive the admiration of men. And that's why God over and over throughout the Old Testament, he just lays into his people whenever it becomes about the show and not about the heart. Living his way is the command 
but it's the heart behind it that's more important than just checking the box. So let's see some of that. Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Let's also look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This is about the heart. This isn't about the show. This isn't about the admiration of men. This is about where are you at when you approach the Lord. And so that's what he's getting to here. And like so many parables and teachings of Jesus, um, he, he packs it densely. There are layers and layers and layers here. Uh, I often say when we pack for a road trip, I don't even approach the car anymore. I just bring the things and I set them 10 feet, 10 feet from the car. And then I have a ninja Tetris wizard uh, who will come and just ninja everything into the car and leave no space left at all. Um, we, we couldn't quite fit the entire attic in the car, uh, which is why we had to get a bigger one, but I'm sure it'll be ninja'd just as well. Um, but, but Jesus is like that in his words here. He is packing a lot into these few sentences. And almost every time he's teaching a crowd here, these are Jews. They knew the Old Testament. There was no Hulu at this time. There was no Netflix. There was no HBO Max, no Amazon Prime. You can keep going on and on and on. When they finished dinner time and it was dark, guess what they had? They had Bible stories. They had Bible story hour every day, and they knew their Old Testament. And so when he's teaching like this, he's, he's saying one thing on the surface, but he's also at the same time referencing something that they would know, an example from Jewish history that they would go, oh, I remember that story. I remember when Dad taught me that. And so he's calling them back to this idea, okay, when you pray, you don't be like the hypocrites. You go into a room, you shut your door, and you pray to God, which is exactly what Elisha did in 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm not going to go there and read it, but you could read it yourself. There was a little boy who had died, and Elisha goes in, and he, just him, and he shuts the door, and he prays, and he prays. He lays himself out before the Lord. He lays on this dead little boy, and the boy comes back to life. It wasn't about the show. It was about just him and the Lord. So he's referencing, he's, he's teaching, but he's also referencing stuff that they know. So the intent matters. Whether we do things for show or for God matters. All right, next instruction. When you pray, don't babble with a bunch of words. I think that's pretty straightforward. But let's just have a moment of honesty. Who's ever not known what to pray and so you just string together a bunch of Christian-sounding words? I have. It's very tempting. It's very tempting. 
You know, anybody that's been around the church for a year or two can just string together all the right words, and it's, it's like playing Christian buzzword bingo. And, and you can make a, a prayer sound awful pretty without even thinking about it, and it's dangerous. But again, he's referring back to uh, something that happened in the past. Before we get to that, uh, babbling. We are invited into the throne room of God. We are invited to come to his throne and lay our cares before him and be heard. And that's awesome. We need to be careful that we don't do it flippantly. That's what he's talking about here. Um, Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes, not the most optimistic of all books in the Bible, but honest. Again, there's no pulling punches here. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. Okay, so that's a a pretty serious warning. We are invited into prayer, but not to treat it cheaply. God wants an honest conversation. Even if our words are few, even if it's not fancy, even if all we can manage is a groan or a please, if that's all you've got laid before. We don't have to be eloquent. It's not what he's asking. So again, layers and layers. Jesus is saying, don't babble like the pagans. It's a direct reference back to 1 Kings 18 when Elijah is in a showdown with the prophets of Baal. And he's saying, come on, whichever, whichever God can light that fire first wins. And he's taunting them and taunting them and saying, go ahead, let Baal light it up. There's a big bowl on the altar, a bunch of wood. It's ready to go. And they prayed all morning. And then noon came and they prayed all day long and they shouted louder and louder and louder and more words and nothing. It's not about the loudness. It's not about the words. So don't babble if you don't know what to pray. God knows what you need before you ask. So what then? What do we we pray? I'm glad you asked. Section number two, the prayer itself. There's been a lot of debate about the Lord's Prayer, about what role it plays in our lives, and, you know, that probably... Uh, goes down to that same debate about those who like liturgies and those who don't like liturgies. And do we pray it exactly as it's written? Do we do it every day? Do we pray it multiple times a day? Or is it kind of a a template, a guide? Is it the example that we should follow and model our prayers on that? All great questions. And we should absolutely, when we look at the Word of God, be saying, how does this fit into my life, into my prayer? Great question. And I won't claim to have a concluded an exhaustive study on this. I'm sure that there are 
PhD treatises about this, and you're welcome to go read them, and I'll just make a couple of observations. Let's just look here at verse 9. This then is how you should pray. This then is how you should pray. So a couple things. First, this is red text. If Jesus is using this to teach the disciples and all the people that are gathered below him on the mountainside how to pray, then it's a pretty good model. Can we all agree on that? It's a pretty good model. Um, And it behooves us to understand the prayer, and it behooves us to understand the context of it and what that prayer is doing in our relationship with God. It's a pretty good model. Second, the beginning of verse 9 is fairly direct. This, then, is how you should pray. Jesus was pretty good with words, what with having invented them and all. Um, And he didn't say, hey, if you feel like it, this might be a great example. And he didn't say, you know what, consider this as a guide. He said, he didn't say maybe as a last resort, if you're stuck, pray this. He said, this then is how you should pray. So I'm not going to lay down a definitive rule on model versus treat it as is. I'm just going to say both are there. And so we should consider this in how it relates to our prayer life. Is it anywhere close? Does the way he prays, does that ring a bell in how we pray? Uh, I'll tell you what, sometimes my prayers, if I'm not thinking about it and I'm just going through on autopilot, tend to be, thank you, thank you, thank you, help me, help me, help me. Anybody else? A couple times, maybe. And so there's a little bit more in here than that. So let's, let's look at a few things to observe. It's a poem. It can easily be translated into a song and has been many times, beautifully. Um, When we were married, Randy actually sang this at our wedding, and it was awesome. Uh, If you haven't cried enough lately and you feel like it, uh, go ahead and go on to YouTube and look up Andrea Bocelli singing this with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And if that doesn't get you, I don't know what will. Um, It's super short. It's three sentences. That's it. It's three sentences. It's very memorizable, and it is a super dense Tetris ninja wizard version of what God is about and what we should be about. So it's about got two halves, and then we'll get into the text here. So the two halves you need to look for is first, it's a recognition of who God is and what he's about and his mission and what he cares about. And then second, it's a set of requests on meeting our needs and guiding our path. So the entire prayer is the plural form. Uh, You won't find the word I in this prayer. It's us. It's our. And so this prayer is one that can be prayed as a member of a corporate body or as a corporate body all together to our Father. All right, so I'm going to read this prayer once and then we'll talk through the pieces. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
our Father. Um, it's not just Jesus' Father. It's our Father. When we become part of God's family, when we make that proclamation that we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become co-heirs with Christ. We're part of the family we're in. He is our Father in heaven. This is a recognition of his place on the throne, not only the throne of heaven and earth, but also the throne of our lives. And it's calling listeners back to the descriptions of heaven in Isaiah and in the Psalms and in all of the glory that God is described in. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed, that same root word that we uh, misuse in Halloween, that same root word you find in Harry Potter in the Deathly Hallows, it means holy. It simply means holy, sacred, set apart, hallowed be your name. His name is to be glorified above all things. Soli Deo Gloria, right? To God alone be the glory. And so it's that reminder that what God is serious about is his name being holy, set apart, being revered, and being made much of. And it's a recognition that that's what he's about, and therefore that's what we should be about. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We just read part of it in Mark here in the, in the verses before, between songs. The very first thing Jesus said when he came on the scene and started his, his ministry, it's also in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that kingdom, I promise we didn't coordinate the verses ahead of time between the songs, but they were kingdom, 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 right? In Daniel and in other places, the kingdom of heaven is near. And that kingdom came with Christ. He made the sacrifice. The Holy Spirit is here. And yet that kingdom also will come, right? He's here. He's in my life. I'm changed because of him. And yet, let's be real here, I'm not all the way done being changed. There's more there. And so we're saying, your kingdom come. Make that complete in me. Your kingdom come here on earth. You've made it possible for us to be together with you. But clearly, that kingdom has not permeated all parts of the world yet. Your kingdom come. Maranatha, Lord Jesus. On earth as it is in heaven. So the earth is a messy and broken place. And some people have this idea that in the end, we're all going to go to heaven where it's not messy and broken. But that's not actually the story. That's not how it works. If you look in Revelation 21, that's not the end. And then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's the story. 
in the end, heaven and earth have a very thin boundary. And the earth is made whole as it once was meant to be. And in this prayer, we affirm that we want to see God's kingdom come. His will be done on earth here as it is in heaven. We say, yes, bring that on. That's what you want. That's what we want. Give us today our daily bread. I promise I'm trying to go at pace here, guys. So this one kicked me in the pants here this week. So we're now pivoting from that first half where we say, this is what God's about, and therefore I affirm that I am aligned with that, and I'm about that too. And now we pivot to what we need. Give us today our daily bread. And again, layers, 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 layers. On the surface, he's saying, give me what I need today. But he's also laying down a new metaphor, a new teaching. And we see that in John chapter 6, verse 35. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So the bread here is metaphorical also, explaining a spiritual reality that Jesus is what we need to once and for all satisfy that. And another layer, as usual, pointing back, right? Give us today our daily bread. What does that sound like? That sounds like the Exodus to me. That sounds like being lost in the wilderness. That sounds like manna coming down from heaven daily. Just enough for that day, twice on Saturday, um, or I guess Friday night, um, just enough for that day, the daily bread. Manna, it also sounds like Proverbs chapter 30. And I'm going to read that. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Listen here. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So when Jesus is teaching, give us to this day our daily bread, the people in the crowd are saying, I know that term. I've heard that story. He provided daily for their needs. He gave them just what they needed. Not all that they wanted, just what they needed. And that's what I want. Keep me dependent on you, Lord. Keep me reliant on your goodness. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So while we have in the Our Father a recognition that we are saved... We are forgiven. We're part of God's family. That's part of our Father. We also continue to repent of our sins. We also continue to thank Him for the forgiveness that we have. And that forgiveness then informs and transforms bit by bit by bit our hearts. As that understanding of the grace of God sinks in, we're able to do what otherwise would be unthinkable. 
which is to forgive those that have wronged us. A little bit more on that at the end. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The wording here is confusing sometimes, but I think it's made a little bit more clear when we compare this to another time when Jesus said almost the exact same thing in Luke 22. I'm going to read that. So he's in the, the garden on the Mount of Olives, and he's talking to the disciples, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to go over here and pray. You guys stay awake. Verse 40. On reaching that place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then, of course, they fell asleep. And then he came back and he said, why are you sleeping? Verse 46, he asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So this prayer is just a a recognition that we need the Lord's help to avoid that temptation, to resist that temptation, to not be seduced into it by our desires. We need his help daily. Okay, so there's a lot packed into those sentences, and I don't expect any of us to remember all of that. Uh, I won't, um, but I think you can see there's, it's dense. Right? So if I, I want to summarize, if you get nothing else out of that whole thing, two points. In this prayer, we affirm who God is and his holiness, his mission, and his plan for reconciling the brokenness of sin. And second, we as a body of believers, as members of God's family, we ask that he be present in our lives, day by day, moment by moment, in the quotidian things, to align our hearts to his. So, if I had to say it a different way, this prayer should remind us of what he's about, and align us to it. All right, the last section is forgiveness. And it would be very easy to finish at the prayer and be done, and that would be nice. But Jesus didn't do that, so I feel like I don't, that would be taking liberties. So, um, so right after the prayer, uh, he goes a little bit more deeper into forgiveness, and it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. It's one of those things where you're like, man, I don't really like that. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. So right after this prayer, he takes that forgiveness line that's in the prayer and he draws a big black box around it in dark Sharpie. It's uncomfortable. But it's important here that when we approach the topic of forgiveness, we recognize that the hurt is real. Jesus is not saying uh, that the wrongs that people commit against us are not there or that they're not, they haven't hurt us deeply, they haven't altered our lives. He's not talking about reconciliation either. It's a separate idea. Forgiveness is a one-party action. Reconciliation requires two to tango. You have to have two people willing to heal that wound and come back together. So we're not talking about reconciliation here. We're talking about forgiveness. And what he's saying very simply is, look, God has forgiven you so much so much that you don't even know yet. 
as a recognition of that, that grace, as we understand it better and better, and it settles into our hearts and it settles into our minds, that should inspire us to say, look, if God can forgive all of the wickedness in me, then I ought to at least be able to look at somebody who has wronged me deeply and say, I don't ever want to be next to that person again, but I do hope that God saves them. And I see the image of God in them, and I'm going to relinquish my right for revenge. That's hard. It's very hard. He finishes out here saying, if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive their sins. He's not saying if you struggle to forgive. He's not saying if it takes a long time, but he's saying if you refuse, then it's an indication that the grace of God, you don't get it. The grace of God has not settled into your heart in a way that allows you to take that forgiveness that's been afforded to us and give it back to others. All right. So deep breath. Congratulations. We've now made it through a three-line prayer and some intro and outro. So I'm just going to ask you as you leave here today to consider the following. What role has the Lord's Prayer played in your life? Maybe you're like me. You didn't grow up seeing the value of repeating a prayer that's already written. even if it has been passed down to us generation after generation. Or maybe you've only seen it in the context that I saw it in, where you know, it was a group of zombies on autopilot just repeating it without any heart and thought in mind. But I would like to submit to you that liturgical prayers can be helpful. And they can help us in a couple of ways. They can remind us what God is about when we might not get there on our own prayers. We might pray only what's important to us. And they might remind us what God is about. They can lead us to confession and requests that we would otherwise miss. So today is an opportunity to see this prayer as a condensed summary of what God is about and to say, I align with that. I want to take where I'm at and move in alignment with that. So I hope the Lord blesses your walk as you consider that prayer, uh, whether you choose to use it as a model or whether you choose to pray it daily or whatever you choose to do with it. Let it, let it be something you dwell on this week. Let's pray. Lord God, you, you've given us something to chew on today. And I won't clutter this up with meaningless words, Lord. Hit us in the heart, Lord. Show us how you would have us use this. Remind us of what you're about. And encourage us to align with it. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Foundation Life Bible Church, located in Greenwood, Indiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Foundation Life Bible Church, please visit us online at www.foundationlbc.com.